1: Okay, our reading today comes from Romans 12, 1 through 3, and we're going to be reading from the message version of the Bible today. So here's what I want you to do God helping you take your everyday, ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work, and walking around life, and place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for Him. Don't become so well adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. You'll be changed from the inside out. Readily recognize what he wants from you and quickly respond to it. Unlike the culture around you, always dragging you down to its level of immaturity, God brings the best out of you, develops well-formed maturity in you. I'm speaking to you out of deep gratitude for all that God has given me, and especially as I have responsibilities in relation to you. Living then, as every one of you does, in pure grace, it's important that you not misinterpret yourselves as people who are bringing this goodness to God. No, God brings it to all of you. The only accurate way to understand ourselves is by what God is and by what he does for us, not by what we are and what we do for him. This is the word of the Lord.
0: Thanks be to God. Thank you. First Sunday, full time. Woohoo! Yay, Chris. That's how you get to surprise him during passing the peace and be like, no, I'm sure I told you. you got to read the scripture today. Definitely. Um, Let's pray, and we'll jump in. Uh, Jesus, thank you for this room. Uh, I'm I'm always grateful for this room, but I don't know. There's something about it today, so I just thank you for who you are. Thank you for who you are here. And so I just pray in the next few minutes that... um, you would come near. I don't know. We believe you're near. Would you would we experience you as one who comes near to us? In your name we pray. Amen. Uh, so we are spending our entire summer in Romans 12, uh, and I am very, very excited about it. I joked last week, but I actually sort of meant it. Um, Romans is is some heavy lifting, and so my joke was that maybe if we spend the whole summer in one chapter, we'll finally understand it by the end. Um, we'll see. I, I don't know, but um, this week we're going to actually hang out in a very similar place uh, that we were last week in Romans 12, which is uh, just the first couple of verses, uh, and and. I had Chris read it in the message version today because there's some language in the message that um, as I was like reading and studying and preparing for the summer made me, um, I don't know, just like lean forward. Uh, And and so uh, while we pretty much every week read from the NLT here on Sundays, um, when I'm like reading and studying, I try to read it in all different translations and paraphrases and versions and see kind of how everybody uh uh, says things and this one really caught my attention so we're really just going to hang out in this one little uh section and it's this take your everyday ordinary life your sleeping eating going to work walking around life and place it before God as an offering uh so that's our that's going to be where we hang out today um As we jump in, uh, when I was in middle school, uh, a very strange thing happened. Some of you may have experienced something like this, Um, but one of my friends went to youth camp, and then when uh, she came home, uh, she attended a bonfire where they were going to burn all of their CDs. Do you know what I'm talking about? Um, someone in this room named Isaac Britt's mom, I heard, put his in the microwave when he would listen to inappropriate music. So, um, but this is, this is, this was a thing. Like uh, kids would like take CDs. Some of you may have actually done that or known of people uh, doing it. Um, side note, if you were born after 1997, CDs were these little circles. Um, <laughs> kind of like a tiny record that we used to listen to music on. Um, You can probably find them at an antique store near you. Um, But anyway, I remember being at my friend's house, and she was collecting CDs to burn, and I was over the side trying to, like, secretly swipe some out. I think I got an Alanis Morissette and a Weezer maybe. But um, um, when I asked what she was doing, she said uh, her whole youth group had been convicted at this camp to burn their secular music. And that was really confusing to me. Uh, Like, I had to ask her what secular music was. And she said, secular music is any music that isn't Christian. And I was very confused because I didn't know music could become a Christian. Like, that was, like, interesting information to me. Um, and so it's the first time I remember someone like drawing a line between like, this is Christian, this is, this is secular, this is Christian, and those two things uh, aren't the same. Uh, I remember asking my dad about it later, and he answered in the same way he answered all of my questions, which was to turn the question back on me. And he was like, do you think there's a divide? Like, is there secular and, and is there Christian? And then I'm pretty sure he just blasted Journey uh, as loud as he could after that. Because to grow up in my house, you learn two formational things from childbirth, Jesus' loves you. And Steve Perry has the best voice in rock and roll. Those were like our, our two formational life lessons. Um, and so I guess it's just since that moment has always been something I've been a little bit curious about because I've had these experiences where I, um, I heard like quote unquote secular music and it like stirred me in faith. And then I've had these experiences uh, where I heard Christian music that made me want earplugs or to no longer be able to hear anymore. Um, I think I've talked about this before. I remember being with Daniel at a a very not Christian uh, concert. And I look over and Daniel's eyes are closed and his hands are out like this. And I was like, what are you doing? (laughs) And he kind of shook and he was like, uh, worshiping. (laughs) I was like, that is so weird. But I also sort of got it. You know, I mean, I wasn't going to do it, but like I sort of got it. Like some of my um, most uh, uh, religious or sacred or holy or thinnest moments in my life have happened in um, in secular places. Uh, I, there's this room in the Modern Museum of Art uh, that I call the chapel. Like Huck believes that there is a church in MoMA because every time we go, we go to this room and I call it my chapel. Uh, it's really just this room that's like filled with these Matisse water paintings and 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 it's not a chapel at all. But that's that's what he calls it. My dad called one time and was like, Where's that chapel in the art museum? And I was like, It's just a room. But to me, it's a chapel because some of the holiest, like thinnest moments in my life have happened in uh, this room. I had this, uh, as a kid, I had this like tangible, mystical, charismatic, I don't even know the right word, experience on a ski slope. Like just skiing. Um, I, my 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 Easter song is Light of a Clear Blue Morning by Dolly Parton, or Where the Streets Have No Name by You Too. Like, like these, these thin holy moments that exist in, in in what my friend first called a secular space. And so the older I get, the the less I believe and experience some sort of divide between what's Christian and what's secular, or what's sacred and what's secular. Uh, To quote John Mark Comer in the book Garden City, that is like a textbook for this church, Um, he says this, The sacred-secular divide is this idea that some things are sacred or spiritual, and they matter to God. But other things are secular or physical, and at least by implication, they don't matter to God. At least not all that much. The problem with this widespread way of thinking is that by definition, most of our life is secular. I think that's why this verse caught my attention uh, so much. Because Paul seems to be saying here uh, that, that the tiniest and most ordinary parts of our lives are important to God or sacred to God. Uh, Psalm 95 um, has this verse in it where it says that God uh, holds everything in the heavens in the highest peak. But that he also has his, his hands in the depths of the earth. He has his hands in the dirt of the earth, He made the world and he made us. And he has tenderly and vulnerably risked us putting our lives uh, into our own hands to learn and to make choices. And it seems to me that Paul is saying that part of following Jesus means acknowledging this sacredness of the ordinary in our lives. To acknowledge that sacredness before God and allow him to have voice into the biggest things and the smallest things. It means acknowledging that if he made our lives, he wants a say in how we spend them. Uh, for example, uh, my kids are so unbelievably precious to me. I adore them, and I also pay for their whole lives right now. Like, they disagree, but I would argue that the allowance was my money that I gave to you, you know. Um, they live in my house, and they eat all of my food, and, and so because of these things, I think that I get a say in their lives. Like Because of these things, I get to say, have a say in when they go to bed, or who they spend the night with, or when they get a phone, or, or, or things like that, where they put their dirty clothes and shoes. That one doesn't work, but I tried to say it. Um, like I cannot control their whole lives, but I do have a voice into it, and I think it's similar with God. Uh, We who belong to him, we are made of him and we are made from him. And he cares to give voice into our spaces no matter how small or ordinary they are. But he won't control us. Uh, Have you read the Old Testament? It is bananas. Uh, He won't control us, but he will infuse and inject our lives with promises about who he is and who we are and where this whole thing is going. Because we are sacred to him. And our world is sacred to him, Uh, and so allowing his voice into how we spend our days is the sacrifice that I think Paul is talking about uh, in these first few verses of Romans 12. Uh, A writer I love named Annie Dillard she says how we spend our days is, of course, how we spend our lives, and I think Jesus cares very much about our lives, all the way down to how we spend our days. I would argue that His life showed this. Of His 33 years of living. 30 of those years were spent in ordinary obscurity. His regular and unremarkable life for the first 30 years, I think, gives value to ours as well. It, it speaks into ours as well. I want to quote another writer. Her name's uh, Kathleen Norris. And Missy, I think I have a, a slide for this one. She says this. She says, The Bible is full of evidence that God's attention is indeed fixed on the little things. But this is not because God is some great cosmic cop eager to catch us in minor transgressions, but simply because God loves us. He loves us so much that the divine presence is revealed even in the meaningless workings of a daily life. A God who cares so much as to desire to be present to us in everything that we do. So here's what I want to do today. Uh, I want to look together briefly at each of the ordinary things uh, in that one little verse that I read that Paul talks about. Uh, and I want us to look at those things with, like, sacred or sacramental eyes, to look at them as if God cares about them, as if they are sacred to him. Uh, and then I want to do a practice all together where we kind of do that uh, on, on our own. Um, and if this is interesting to you at all, this, like, idea of holy happening in ordinary, um, I there are two books that I would tell you to read. Uh, the first is called The Liturgy of the Ordinary by Tish Harrison Warren. Uh, one of our small groups read it together, uh, I think, last fall, maybe, um, uh, and uh, I'm, I stole most of what I'm going to say from her today, so you can read it, um, and then the second one is called The Remarkable Ordinary by Frederick Buechner. Um and actually, I'm gonna add a third. Uh, the third is Anything by Wendell Berry, just like anything, anything by him, okay, um, that's just a good life lesson anyway, but okay, Let's we'll start. Uh, we'll start with the first one on the list. So we talk, uh, in, in the message version, he says sleeping, eating, working, everyday living. The first one is sleeping. And so my question is, is sleeping sacred to God? Um In Jewish culture, uh, nights and days are switched from what uh, we think that they are. Here's what I mean. Um, In Jewish culture, the day begins as the sun is going down. So as our day is ending, in Jewish culture, the day is just starting to begin. So in Jewish tradition, all important holidays or or traditions or meals or things like that, these practices they begin as soon as the sun uh, starts to set. Uh, I remember uh, Dana and I getting lost in Brooklyn one time, and we ended up in a Hasidic Jewish neighborhood, and um, and the sun was going down as we were walking around, and I remember uh, watching people scurrying back to their homes, like filled uh, with lots of very yummy looking bread. Um, That was like distinct to me, (laughs) Um, but uh, I remember that. And as the sun would get lower, their pace would pick up trying to make it home before uh, the sun goes down to begin their day. Uh, This is interesting to me because if the day begins at sunset uh, in Jewish culture, then that means that the day begins with rest. And we classically think of the day as ending uh, with rest. But the beginning of the Jewish day is to settle down, to go to sleep. And for me, this is a a wild reorientation because it means that in Jesus' culture, in Jewish culture, the day begins with accomplishing nothing. And I don't know about you, but as someone who has a tendency to measure the value of my day by what I accomplish, that is a discombobulating idea. It also puts an interesting amount of value on sleep. It means that that our day would begin in submission to the fact that we cannot do this all on our own. That our bodies, they require rest. They require sleep. They require doing nothing. Uh, To quote Tish Harrison Warren, she says, Every evening, whether we like it or not, we must admit again that we are not unlimited. Our bodies get tired. Our efforts prove futile. We are needy. Yielding to sleep confesses this reality, a confession that is countercultural and revolutionary. We are not sufficient, and we need a caretaker. Sleep is our evidence of our need to be cared for, and I would argue be cared for by a God who cares deeply for us. Uh, Eugene Peterson says that beginning our days with sleep conditions us to the rhythms of God's grace. Uh, to quote from last week, it's one of the ways we keep mercy in view all of our lives. We go to sleep, and God begins his work of refreshing. He begins his work of renewing. He begins his work of refueling us uh, for the day ahead. Uh, next on Paul's list is eating. Uh, is eating sacred to God? Um, and as I was thinking about this, uh, I kept having the same story come to my mind over and over again. And it's, um, it's the night before Jesus uh, goes to die. Uh, and Jesus, who is God's theology, does something, I think, uh, that is not very expected to me. Uh, the night before he goes to die, he finds himself in a room with his closest friends. Does anyone remember what they do? No, no one's sure. <laughs> they eat. They eat, they nourish their bodies. They've been celebrating a festival all day and they are tired and they need nourishment and so they eat. But as they eat, what's been so curious to me uh, is that in one of his last acts with his friends, Jesus, he's like, he has them all in a room for one last time together and he doesn't preach like, I would probably preach. But he doesn't, he doesn't preach. He doesn't give them doctrine or hermeneutics or ecclesiology or eschatology. I was just trying to think of all my big church words. I know. Um, he, doesn't, he doesn't give them those things. Instead, he gives them a practice to do together, and that is eating. And he says, when you do this, when you get around a table and when you eat, do it and remember me. Do it because of your great affection for me. And he gives them a meal. And he says, keep doing this. Keep being nourished here. Keep being nourished around a table. Food is exciting sometimes. And then it's incredibly boring sometimes. Like for every amazing meal I've ever had, I've had 20 or 30 or 40 or 50 that were uh, completely forgettable. When I was in college, I worked at Blackberry Farm, and uh, one of the, the gifts of working there is that you get to bring people with you to have dinner, uh, and I remember bringing my parents to have dinner, and it's still, it's like one of the best meals of our entire lives. And also, I don't remember much of anything that I ate last week, or how many times my kids ate ramen noodles. I'm sure it was too many, but I don't know how many times. But what's interesting is that uh, the forgettable meals are often as nourishing as uh, the incredible ones. I mean, we could argue on the nourishing impact of ramen noodles. But um, what I mean is we're sustained by what we do around tables. And I mean that literally, and I mean that figuratively. And I think God does too. I think it's sacred. Okay, next on our list is going to work. Uh, if you don't have a job, you can fill in uh, going to school or whatever it is that you spend your days uh, doing in repetitive rhythm. Um, I feel like I've talked about work a, a lot. Um, if, if you want more information on this, we had a sermon series called Garden City this fall where we talked about it a ton. Um, and uh, but I just I believe that work matters. Uh, Wendell Berry, he has this, this this essay, and it has the best title. The title of the essay is, What Are People For? And if I were answering that question, one of the ways that I would answer that question, I think, is found in Genesis 2, when God commissions every human being uh, with the work of getting our hands into the dirt and bringing order to it. What are people for? We're made to put our hands into this world and to bring order into this world. Or to quote Wendell Berry, good human work honors God's work. Uh, I think there's something to this. The Puritans believed that we were made holy through our work. Uh, And then the rabbis, they taught this this idea called um, Kavana. And Kavana is essentially uh, the practice of holy intent. And what it means is that you could be made holy by setting your intention to be made holy. And I think this is how uh, God views our work. That there's something about showing up faithfully day after day to something, whether it's Denzo or a classroom or your living room or or wherever you do this, uh, that that has something to offer us in the way of holiness. And I would argue that when it's done well, it doesn't just offer us something in the way of holiness. It offers uh, the community around us something in the way of goodness. Here's how I know. Uh, Because I live in this community, and I experience your work. I have been to Paul Law Store. I have, uh, I know people who Dee Doolin was their teacher. Uh, I, I have been kept safe by the Alcoa PD. I, uh, I thought of this earlier. Um, Iris Hitch was kept safe and well by Hannah Campbell. Our work impacts. I want to go around to every single person in the room and say, what you do matters. Your work, it absolutely matters. It is sacred to God, which means that how we do it matters. If it is sacred to him, then we can be made holy by it. It has the ability to bring us more holy and to bring more hope and peace and goodness and truth into the community around us. I honestly could talk about this subject for forever. Um, But this is what I'm trying to say. The kingdom of God, it works itself out in the small rhythms of our daily work. The kingdom of God can work itself out in emails, in meetings, in repetitive tasks or difficult situations, in uh, break rooms or cafeterias as you cook dinner or pull weeds. However it is that you spend your days working the ground and bringing order to it, the kingdom of God can work itself out there. And then our final thing of Paul's list, the ever vague walking around ordinary living. Uh, in the Iliad by Homer, anyone is that on your summer reading list? Uh, sorry. so. <laughs> um, uh, but in the Iliad, there's this figure, uh, and in Greek mythology, named Sisyphus. And, and Sisyphus is sort of this tricky character, and he tries to cheat death. And so the god Zeus uh, punishes him because he's trying to cheat, cheat death. And the way he punishes him is that he makes Sisyphus roll a boulder up a hill forever. That's his punishment. Uh, Every time, uh, and, and every time Sisyphus makes it to the top of the hill with the boulder, the boulder just falls back down the hill and he goes to the bottom and he starts again. Essentially, his punishment is a meaningless, repetitive existence. And I think what Romans 12 is telling us is that we are not Sisyphus. Our lives, though redundant at times and boring at times and excruciatingly mundane at times, they have been declared sacred. They have been infused with meaning that is far beyond ourselves. According to Romans 12, God has declared the ordinary in our lives as places of sacrifice, as places of worship, as places to be made more holy. I want to quote uh, Frederick Buechner here. He says, it seems to me almost, uh, almost before the Bible says anything else, it's saying how important it is to be alive and to pay attention to being alive, to pay attention to each other, pay attention to God as he moves and as he speaks, pay attention to where life or God has tried to take you. And so I kind of want to follow his lead uh, with our last few minutes together. And and that's how I want to end our time together, by uh, paying attention together. I just want to give us a minute uh, to do that. It is my personal and professional opinion uh, that uh, one of the most clear and tangible ways I know to offer my ordinary life as a living sacrifice is by learning how to pay attention to it. Um, Last week, we did a prayer practice together called An examine. Um, if you weren't with us, it, it's an old prayer practice uh, created by a guy named St. Ignatius of Loyola, and he created it for uh, the Order of the Jesuits. And, and the reason he created this practice was to teach his people uh, how to pay attention to the remarkable ordinary parts of their lives. And so we're going to do it, uh, we're going to try and examine like we did last week, we're going to try it again this week. I need all of the teachers in the room to uh, agree with me that like, it doesn't redundancy help us learn things like doing a repetitive task over and over again? Thank you, okay. Um, so we're going <laughs> to we're gonna do this uh, again. Um, today though, we did, we, we did a little bit of a funky examine last week. Today we're going to do a really traditional one. So there are cards on the seats kind of all around. If you don't have one and you want one, there are a whole bunch on the info table in the back and you can get up it won't bother anybody um and you can do this however you want if you want to close your eyes and pray you can do that if you want to use the back of the card if you're a journaler you can write on the back that helps me to just like write out my answers there should be pins around if you need that um, if not those are also on the info table in the back um, uh, or if you're like, this was weird last week and it's going to be weird again this week, I don't want to do it. Then all I know is that's the best guitar player I know, so you're welcome. You can just have a few minutes and listen to some good music. Um, you don't have to do this, but if you would like to, I would love for us together to to, uh, to pay attention. So we're going to do four steps Um uh, and these are four really traditional examine steps. Uh, they all start with R, because if you do something in the church, it all has to start with the same letter. I don't know if you know that. Um, but they all start with R. Uh, replay, rejoice, repent, and resolve. Uh, and I'm going to lead you through these things. Um, but I'm, I'm really not kidding. I don't know of any Christian practice that is better at training you to pay attention to your life than an examine. Uh, A guy, Dan Wilt, who's a hero of uh, some of us in this room, uh, in the vineyard, he doesn't examine like eight times a day or something. He spends one to three minutes, and he just will go back over the last hour and kind of think through things. Uh, But typically what you do is you would do an exam at the end of our day, the beginning of the Jewish day, in the evening, and you would really just think back over a very short period of time. So like 24 hours, or maybe the longest you would do is like the weekend. Um, So not like a long—you're not— like going back over 2023 at this point. We're just going back over a short period of time, like 24 hours. Um, And 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 the hope is just to pay attention uh, to whatever you remember from the last 24 hours and see what God might have uh, for you in that. So um, I'm we're gonna do this together. I'm gonna but kind of pray and bless it and we'll get started but when I do this I do this a lot in the evening and the way that I start is that I always just take a really deep breath we did that last week so let's just do that together it feels like a, we're going to start something so take a big deep breath in there's nothing magic about that it just separates something I don't know so we'll take a minute we'll just become aware of God's presence and then I will help lead you through it so come Holy Spirit we believe that you're in this room and so we just ask that you would wake us up to your presence here and would you wake us up to the present your presence in the very ordinary of our lives would you give us the imagination to remember the last little while and I just pray that you would let something I don't know bubble up in us would you free us from the pressure to manufacture some sort of thing and would you free us just to be with you so our first step is going to be to replay essentially what that is is just to sort of replay the last 24 hours or so of your life kind of like a movie just what happened you woke up real normal stuff kept going what did the last 24 hours of your day look like remember events or feelings or experiences they can be as big as getting engaged and as small as brushing your teeth For anyone who's ready, we'll we'll move into the next part. If you're not, you just stay on the replay. That is good and holy and stay there as long as you want. Um, but step two is uh, we say rejoice. Ignatius's word was consolations. And so I wonder as you replayed, what were um, the good parts of your last little while? Where did you feel grace or delight or hope? Where um, maybe did you feel God was particularly present or you felt close to someone uh, you love? So we'll just take a few minutes and see as you replayed. what, What can you rejoice in? What were your consolations? Again, these aren't things you have to manufacture. It could be something as small as, I I remember reading someone's one time and she was like celebrating in the way cheese looked coming off a cheese grater. Big or small. if you're ready we'll move to step three and if you're not you just hang in step one or step two however long but step three uh the word we use is repent but the word uh ignatius used was desolations um where as you reviewed your day did you not show up how you would we would like to show up where did you not show up as who you want to be where where did you feel like maybe um you responded or reacted in a way you wish you hadn't or um Maybe you caused emotional pain with someone, maybe even just yourself. Uh, where did you experience disorder? Or um, a harder question for me is where did I cause disorder, in myself or in someone else? And this, again, it's not manufactured, and these can be as big or small. For some, Sometimes for me it's... Um, Sometimes the way I look in the mirror, it causes destruction in my soul. It's something as small as that. And then sometimes I am a horrible person to live with. Um, And so where is it? Where, Where were your desolations in the last 24 hours? All right, and then step number four. Uh, We say uh, resolve. Essentially, um, what we're doing is we're looking back over the last few steps and saying, is there anything that we noticed here uh, that we can take with us today, in this day, uh, moving forward? Is there anything that we can take with us to live differently today, if need be, or um, to continue doing? Uh, if need be. Is there any place that we need to maybe put some action around something? We have an apology we need to offer. We uh, have something we need to stop doing or start doing. Uh, For me, a lot of times this takes place in an I will statement. I just say I will and i finish the sentence however uh, it leads. So we'll take a few minutes for resolve. I like to end this practice the same way I start this practice. I start it by becoming aware of God's presence, and I like to end it by, uh, once again, becoming aware of God's presence. The presence of the God who loves me, who does not shame me, and who is with me in this very moment. So we'll just take a few minutes and remind ourselves of God's presence. Amen. Good job. You sat in silence with a group of people two weeks in a row. That's no small thing. Uh, this is something you can take with you. Uh, I, 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 you, know, you really can. It's something to do what you think of it, to do every day, however it works out in your life. Um, but I would be very curious to know your experience of it. So if you try this, let's have coffee and talk about it. Um, We're going to walk in August. Um, (laughs) Just kidding. (laughs) When does it get cold again? Um, (laughs) uh, Two things that we want to do uh, right now. Um, The first is that we want to pray for you. And I said this during my prayer, and it just felt like the Holy Spirit was on it. I don't know. But one of the things I've thought about a lot writing my sermon today which is so funny, is the mirror and like these tiny, I think I was just like working through my day of these like ordinary tasks of brushing my teeth and stuff like that. And I have just felt all week long and this morning that um, I think that there is something uh, really destructive that can happen for some people in the mirror in the morning. And if that is you, I just, I don't know, I just feel like maybe the Holy Spirit just wants to release us from that kind of thing um and so uh there are going to be people in the back that would love to pray for you and you can get prayer for any reason so if you see someone getting prayer in the back don't just assume that they don't like the mirror or something um (laughs) this could be for any If you're sick in your body or soul we would love 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 uh to pray for you um but i don't know that in particular and if you don't want to get prayer there we'll be praying tonight at that prayer clinic and, and we can do that or you know ask your neighbor thanks to you, and someone will pray for you. Um, And the second thing we want to do is uh, I want to invite you to the table, um, to the ordinary practice of eating and drinking. Um, It's interesting to me that the practice that Jesus gave his people was not like some, I don't know, exciting, gnarly, wild thing that they were supposed to do in order uh, to remember him. When I think about how I want to be remembered, I think of like crazy. We were talking about in the back, and I was uh, making Stevens write down things I want at my funeral this morning. It was a lovely prayer session before church. Um, But it's like all this crazy stuff. That isn't what Jesus did. What Jesus did is he offered the most ordinary practice that we would do uh, all day, every single day, eating and drinking, that we are supposed to do that in remembrance of him that that's how often we are to think about him and our great affection for him. And that is how often he wants to infuse us with his mercy. Every time we eat, every time we drink. And so I wanna invite you to this table uh, today where uh, Jesus took something as small and ordinary and available as bread and small and ordinary and available as wine or Welch's grape juice. And he gave it to us because he loves us. And so I want to invite you with mercy in view to remember uh, the cross. And that makes this meal something special. Without it, we, it's bread and juice. But with it, we are infused with mercy. So whenever you're ready, you can come forward. You don't have to be a member of the vineyard to take communion with us. Just come on up. Um, and there will be people here to serve you. And, and we dip. We have crackers, and you dip them in the juice, and they become a paste in your mouth so that you remember. So on the night he was betrayed, Jesus took the bread, and he broke it, and he blessed it. And he said, this is my body broken for you. Eat this out of your great affection for me. In the same way, he took the cup, and he said, this is the cup of a new covenant Between God and man, my blood for you. Drink this out of your great affection for me. For whenever you eat this bread and whenever you drink this cup, you proclaim my life, death, and we believe resurrection forever. Forever, forever, forever. Let's pray. So God, we thank you for this meal. And I pray in this moment that you would teach us how to take it and remember. How to eat and drink with great affection for you. We thank you that we are a people who have been thought of. We are a people who have um, been thought for. And so in this moment, we thank you that you made a way where there was no way. In your name we pray, amen. Amen.